America Business Channel is brought to you by Intercall, the worldwide conferencing leader. Check out easy and reliable conferencing solutions at www.intercall.com forward slash radio. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down, try not to try too hard, it's just a love Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with uh, Roger Wiegan who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Chen uh, will be with us in just a moment here, and uh, actually he's with us now, and we're going to ask for his opinions on a very turbulent market day today. Roger Wiegand is not with us. He's not feeling that great today, but he has sent on some of his ideas, which I hope to pass on to you as well during this first segment uh, of today's show. I want to remind you again that there is a special introductory offer uh, to my newsletter um, um, and to Roger's and Chen's newsletters. This is a one-time only uh, introductory offer, and each are separate offers. Uh, you can go to miningstocks.com to learn more about that, or you can go to J. Taylor Media. That's J. Taylor Media without the triple W's uh, to learn more about our newsletters, to access our newsletters, as well as to access this radio show all three uh, or the video interviews that I do as well on my frequent appearances on CNBC, Fox and BNN. I want to thank our uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show again making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. They are Crocodile Gold, Go West Limited, Travalley, uh, Mining Corporation, Entertopia Corporation, Smash Minerals Corp, uh, Ariga Gold Corp, Sand Gold Corp, Palangio Explorations. Those are the companies that are sponsoring us during the first hour. Well, gold bugs, myself included, have been painted as crazy people out of touch with reality. Folks like mainstream socialists, a fellow at Kitco with the initials JN, likes to make fun of people who think we should return to a gold standard. He likens the uh, those of us who believe that, that uh, he compares us to religious zealots. In other words, what we have is faith, nothing uh, nothing substantial, nothing solid to stand on, just faith. That's uh, that's this person's point of view. And actually, it's the status point of view that we're all brought up with when we study Keynesian economics. But are we, gold bugs, crazy? Or might the case be made that the truth has been turned on its head by a media propaganda machine that promotes the interest of the ruling elite far more efficiently and effectively than anything Hitler or Stalin ever dreamed of? My first uh, main guest today is David McIlvaney, who has been involved with a video series uh, that is concerned with the Western world and its uh, state of affairs right now, maintains that the Western world, America and the Western world, is crumbling and that it is likely to become a very tumultuous place to live in the near future. 
Given his views of America and the Western world, we'll ask David what kind of problems he envisions, and I will ask him what he is, what he is personally doing and what he's advising his clients and others to do to survive and, and hopefully even thrive during this very difficult period ahead. Our second main guest today will be uh, Jeff Berwick. He will return for a second time to this show. Jeff is a free market advocate. He became a proponent of true free market act capitalism after his internet company collapsed uh, along with uh, the whole dot-com bubble during uh, 2002. Jeff is a remarkable man who definitely has some very good insights into the markets. And surprise of surprises, he is one of the first people I've heard to say, don't necessarily bet on the Canadian dollar. Well, most everybody that I've talked to seems to think the Canadian dollar is, if you're going to stay in paper money, one of the best places to be. But we'll ask Jeff why he is not as bullish as many others are on the Canadian dollar. Normally, we have a couple of gold mining companies on our show each week, but today, after our first commercial break in just a few minutes, I will be talking to Larry Ray. He's the president and CEO of a company with one of the most remarkable manganese deposits in the United States, if not in the world. That deposit is in Arizona. This will be the second time that Larry has been on our show, so we'll ask him how his project is progressing and also to share with us what the upside potential along with some of the risks might be for those uh, investors who buy in at the current price. Uh, in the second hour today, uh, we will be talking uh, to also to Peter Boytosh. Uh, he is the chairman uh, of the board of Fisher Watt. Now, this is a company which has a share price of only about four cents. And I think that something doesn't, doesn't make any sense here because this is a company that has some very promising uranium properties in Wyoming, uh, and, and there's just no way that this is a four-cent stock in my view. I, I can't think of it. I mean, it's, if it had nothing in it, if it was just a shell, it would be four cents would, would make more sense. Uh, we uh, will also, I think, probably be privileged to hear Peter's views on the uranium industry, and he's a very informed fellow with, a, with an engineering background, knows the mining industry inside and out. Uh, very privileged to have Peter Boytosh with us in the second hour of today's show. Finally, Vancouver-based analyst Ted Ohashi will be with me to wrap up today's show and give his views on this gold market, which is tanking today down some $27, uh, and silver is getting hit even harder on a percentage basis. Uh, he'll also have, I think, a couple of investment ideas uh, to talk to us about. Well, we're going to get to Larry Ray in a few minutes after our commercial break, but before we do, I want to just uh, touch base with Chen Lin, uh, and then I'm going to pass on some remarks with, uh, that Roger Wiegand has passed on to me. Uh, welcome, Chen. Thanks, Jay. Uh, good to have you here, although I know this is a market that is uh, you're not rejoicing about. With $27, the last I looked, down in the gold price and the, and the uh, silver price is down uh, uh, quite a bit, too, today. Uh, what do you make of this, Chen? Oh, it's a normal correction. It's, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the gold and silver usually weak in the summer. Um, people sell in May and walk away. <laughs> but you just started uh, this year a little bit early. I don't know how many times I mentioned my newsletter. I think you know, it got to be five or ten times. I just, you know, may be careful. Sell people selling may walk away. So basically, you should prepare. If you want to sell, you sell in April, right? And then you keep some buying power. I didn't sell, of course, all of my. I reduced some, but I have a lot of buying power now here to wait for those people finish selling. You know, once they're done, you know, you can take up a lot of bargains. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, your dollars will buy a lot more silver today than they would have bought yesterday or the day before. Same with gold. Uh, and I'm looking at the shares also. Now, the shares didn't seem to perform as well on the way up as gold and silver did. Why do you think that is, Chen? And, and do you think it's time maybe if you've got some cash to start looking at some shares, or, or should we see some more correction first? I would let the correction run its course. I mean, let it go down a little bit further. <laughs> let people screaming. Uh, you know, that's where, you know, when everybody panics, that's usually create some good opportunity for you to buy some bargains. Uh, and wait until, you know, end of May, late May, you know, even probably June, July, August, you know, maybe uh, September to, to, to buy. You know, you take your time, uh, you know, until those... Uh, bottom, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, stick your head out. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, you get, get, yeah, get it chopped off. What about, uh, you also had some comments, I think, about uh, 
about the monetary policy right now. A QE2 is coming to an end. What are your thoughts there? We get a QE3, or, or what do you think? How do you think that's going to go? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think right now all the indicator looks like Bernanke going to let it stop. You know, maybe gradual stop at the end of June. That also provides a, a very good you know opportunity for shorts to attack commodities. Right. So it will create a lot of uncertainty. I think the interest rate would li- probably likely go up, mortgage rate go go up, and then people will start crying again that we need a QE3, QE3, give us QE3, and then Bernanke, just like a hero, gave a QE3 <laughs> maybe in a few months. That's my guess, you know. We'll see. So we'll see interest rates go, we'll see some pain, and then uh, and then maybe we get QE3. Uh, I guess politically right now it may not be that expedient for Mr. Bernanke. So lots of people are worried about inflation as in, uh, as food prices and energy prices rise very dramatically, and even the core inflation rate is starting to, to uh, whatever sense the core makes, it never makes a lot of sense to me in terms of the average person. But uh, maybe you're right about that, Chen. You know, maybe, uh, maybe we, we're going to see uh, a little bit of testing. This would be uh, typical, and then we could see some weakness in the markets that would go along with somewhat higher higher rates, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it will be a any, turbulent summer, for sure. Uh, it will be it, very good, you know, if you have some buying power, you know, and uh, pick up bargains. Yeah, I, I think that's the key, you know, and what I always find myself doing, it's when you're when you're going in an up market, it's very difficult to sell into it because you feel like it's going to continue to go up and you don't want to miss the profits. You're in there trying to buy uh, you want to be owning, and you want to be—you want to make more money. You get a bit greedy sometimes, but sometimes it's better to sell into that strength, have some cash, and then uh, when everybody gets, when the market really gets clocked real good, you're—you're uh, in. Um, uh, you're, you're in a good position if you have some cash. Just to pass along a couple of the ideas that Roger Wiegand has, uh, we are supposed to have Larry Ray with us after the break, and uh, there's no indication that we have him yet. So uh, I'm going to just go over Roger's views here. Roger's saying uh, gold and silver uh, are in a correction phase, just what Chen says. Roger's looking uh, at a support of 1507 to 1516 for gold and uh, says that we had a double top on silver at around 50 bucks, and he's looking uh, for for uh, about $42.4285 uh, support. But Chen, uh, where is silver? What is the last price uh, for silver that you've seen today? Yeah, last time I checked, it's a 40 something. Now I think uh, it's about 40, 41. So. 41. So it's already uh, hit Rogers' targets and then fallen below those even. And the uh, Rogers also saying that the US dollar and the long bonds are in the green this morning. Uh, at 73.26 and 122.30 uh, for the 30-year bond. Uh, I don't know if you have those numbers in front of you, Chen. The dollar, the dollar index. Oh, I don't. I don't. You don't. Okay. The dollar. Well, I know uh, dollar is flat today. Pretty flat. Yeah. I, I well, just Rod- your key. Yeah, it's relatively flat today. Okay, well, Roger is suggesting that we could, his longer-term projections here are for a dollar that go, a dollar index that goes to 52.50 or 56, uh, somewhere in that range. So if that were to happen, Chen, what would that do to interest rates? If we were to see, you know, a, a dollar index go from 73 to 53 or something like that. Oh, boy, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> it would, I think that would be a nightmare, and he's suggesting this could happen within the next several months. Well, we nobody knows for sure. Uh, obviously, nobody knows. Uh, anybody that does know wouldn't be wouldn't be uh, probably talking about it. Would be looking to make a profit. But these are best guessed ideas based on on charts and technical analysis. Uh, we are going to be uh, hopefully returning with Larry Ray uh, after the break. Larry Ray is the president and CEO of American Manganese. It's a company with a very remarkable, as I said, uh, manganese property. Uh, so uh, we do hope to have Larry. We're going to go to uh, our first commercial break and we'll be right back hopefully with Larry Ray if not uh, maybe uh, we'll uh, convince Chen to stick around a little longer with us don't go away we'll be right back when it comes to business you'll find the experts here Voice America Business Network 
Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNN. SX Exchange. Dravali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Dravali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000-ton-per-day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with Bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love and ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for a second time Larry Ray. He's the president and CEO of American Manganese. Uh, American Manganese trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol AMY, and you can buy it down here in the United States uh, on the over-the-counter market under the symbol AMYZF. There's 87.2 million shares outstanding. The stock is down today, like almost all of them are, uh, in the resource sector at least, and it's down to 60 cents. It gives the company a market cap of about $52 million. Welcome, Larry, uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I'm glad to be here, Jay. Really good to have you back again. Uh, this is a very interesting story. There aren't too many uh, manganese companies, primary manganese mining companies in the world. And as I understand it, uh, this Artillery Peak property in Arizona contains the largest known goal, uh, largest known um, manganese property deposit in the United States, I believe, uh, according to the Bureau of Mines. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, we have a, uh, a indicated resource of 6.7 billion pounds and uh, an inferred resource of 8.9 billion pounds. So it's it's huge, and 
it uh, certainly is the first time it's been held by one company. Mm-hmm. Well, to give our listeners some sense of the in-situ value there, what is a pound of manganese selling for these days? On the world market, it's $1.60, and in the U.S., it's $1.80 a pound. Okay, so they can multiply that to get some sort of idea of what the value is in the ground. Now, Larry, I understand that uh, the metallurgy on this property, and this is always something that people need to keep in mind when they hear about minerals in the ground. You know, you can, First of all, what's it cost to get it out? And then you have to ask, what's it cost to separate the minerals from the rock? And you, as I understand it, the metallurgy is fairly simple here. What kind of, what kind of um, recovery percentages do you expect out of this property? We expect to have recoveries in the mid nineties mm-hmm. at a very rapid uh, extraction rate. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking, and so then people can just put pencil to paper and get a sense of how much manganese may be recoverable. Although, of course, uh, there's a lot of variables, and um, nothing is so simple as that in the mining in the mining industry. Uh, can you tell our listeners? a little bit about manganese for those that may not be familiar. What is manganese used for and what does the supply and demand picture for manganese look like at this time? Well, manganese, uh, the biggest use in manganese is in the making of steel. If you don't have manganese, you can't make steel and the world stops. That's a famous quote. Mm -hmm. And uh, the market for that's about 30-something billion pounds a year. As the steel industry, if you watch the steel demand go up, you'll see the demand for manganese go up. But our sector is the the metal itself, the pure metal, the most value-added product from it. And uh, that's that's what we'll be extracting at a Tillery Peak. Uh, So that has a higher value, Larry? It does. The ore has a value of from 15 to 18 cents a, a pound. That's made, you take the ore, you can make uh, uh, ferros, which range from about 60 cents to $1.15 a pound. Uh, you can make silicas, which, uh, silica manganese, which uh, is, ranges around 60 cents a pound. Or you can make uh, EMD, which is electrolytic manganese dioxide used in the battery industry. That sells for about $1.60, $1.70 a pound, as well as the electrolytic manganese metal. Mm-hmm. which is the pure metal, which is what we'll be making. We can make either the EMD or the EMM, and uh, that sells for $1.60 a pound. So, mm-hmm. and, and that is built into your uh, preliminary economic assessment, I suppose, those, those numbers? That's right. The numbers are there, and we have a cost of extraction of around $0.44 cents a pound. Mm-hmm. And if you uh, noticed last week, the uh, Shanghai Metal Market weekly forecast uh, reported that the manganese costs were going up in China for electrolytic manganese metal uh, due to uh, ore shortages and the, you know, the uh, higher electrical costs. Mm-hmm. Now about a dollar thirty a pound. So you can see that we have a huge advantage at, down here at forty-four cents. So the cost is about a dollar thirty a pound to produce compared to your forty-four cent cost. You're saying. That's right. And you're saying that you could get a dollar sixty, uh, and this, of course, is what the market is doing now. It can change, but you're you're saying you can get a dollar sixty for something that costs you forty four cents to produce. That's correct. Okay, so the people can do their. What do you, what do you expect? Uh, how much does the preliminary assessment uh, plan talk about in terms of annual production? Well, we're going to be doing thirty five hundred tons of material a day. And that'll produce about 110 million pounds or or 50,000 tons of metal per year. Mm -hmm. So the math is pretty easy on that. At 110, at $1.60, it works out to uh, what you'd expect to be the uh, gross proceeds. Mm-hmm. So that's, of course, before overhead and, and depreciation. That's that's cash, really, we're talking about here. That's right. Okay. So anyway, this would give people an idea, if the preliminary assessment works out, what what your company might be able to produce in the way of cash flow per share. Well, at least cash flow. Uh, with respect to uh, your capital, it's going to cost you, I believe, around $90 million is the projected capital cost for this project. And how do you expect to finance that? We'll, uh, in all likelihood, it'll be a combination of some equity and debt. Be, uh, certainly, uh, in this particular case, uh, I have no fear of uh, bringing it on with debt because of the low cost of production. 
Mm-hmm. So it's uh, you know we'll probably lean more to the debt side once the uh, the production decision is made. Is there uh, are there potentially any um, offtake buyers or financiers companies that might be willing to take future product for cash up front? Well, I certainly there's uh, a uh, we've had a lot of interest in that regards. Nobody's wanted to put the money up yet. Mm-hmm. But there's some of the better-known companies out there have talked to us about off-taking the material. And mm-hmm. uh, I think once the uh, pre-feasibility and the pi- current pilot plant testing is done, we may have more serious contenders who are actually willing to become part of the project. Mm-hmm. I would I would think that would make some sense after you. I mean, you've done a preliminary economic assessment. The confidence level will be raised as you do. You're probably going to do a... Um, a bankable feasibility or a feasibility study of some kind in the not-too-distant future, Larry? And if so, when might that happen? Well, we expect the pre-feasibility to be completed about the end of September. That'll move directly into the feasibility study. So I'd say five to six months after that, we'd have the uh, bankable. Wow. So we're looking at early to mid-2012 for the bankable? Right. Feasibility? Yeah. Okay. What's well, coming along? It, it, you know, inflation is on the rise now. We're seeing higher prices for all materials costs. Uh, do you think, how solid do you think that $90 million is? I mean, it could go up, right, I guess. I guess. And, and that wouldn't necessarily be problematic if your manganese price keeps up with it. Well, certainly, even if they didn't, uh, they remained uh, where they're at today. Our preliminary economic evaluation was based on a dollar ten a pound. Mm-hmm. So we currently have a dollar sixty a pound. I expect wow. that we're going to see inflation costs that could put us over a hundred million. Mm-hmm. I expect that our operating costs could go over fifty cents a pound. But mm-hmm. when I, you know, just as I quoted the uh, the only production of uh, electrolytic manganese, virtually all of it comes out of China, and their cost is now a dollar thirty a pound. So right. So you should driver's be. Seat. So you should be in a really good position. Uh, you have a drill program. We've only got about two minutes left in this segment, uh, Larry, but you have a drill program uh, going on now. How is that going, and can you tell our listeners what that is intended to do, that drill program? It's intended to take a lot of the inferred resources and move it into the indicated and firm up and uh, add value to the current resources. So we expect to increase the resources, and we expect to have a better category at the end of the day. Now, that said and done, we're about 20% of the way through the program, and uh, we expect to have assay results happening in about uh, two weeks' time. Two weeks' time. So people uh, will want to keep track of that. Obviously, investors will want to keep track of that. What do you think the, uh, the biggest risks are for investors that might step in and buy this stock now? We have market risks. We saw your share price go down today, uh, I six, six or seven cents perhaps, which is a big percentage, down to 60 cents. Uh, but aside from, from just general market risks, what do you think the risks are that investors might face if they buy your shares right now? Well, because this is such a low-cost producer, the uh, risk of uh, not being able to uh, make money and repay the debt is minimal. Uh, I'd say the biggest risk, of course, is if, uh, if China shuts down and the BRIC countries shut down and things start, you know, slow rate down or stop, that, uh, you know, the risk is that this project may not get financed. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't see that happening uh, because uh, if we were financed, uh, we'd be still up and running when a lot of companies would be shut down. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, it certainly looks like a very promising story, Larry. Uh, in Arizona, you would think, you know, the, uh, the political risks are certainly not what you might have to face in some other places uh, around the world. Um, I don't know if there's anything else. I mean, I think we, you've pretty well covered the uh, covered the gamut here. I think it looks it looks very good. Uh, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before? Well, the one uh, thing I'd like to point up, uh, Jay, is that China controls the electrolytic manganese metal market, which is 2.6 billion pounds. We require about 650 billion a million pounds out of uh, mm-hmm. out of uh, on the free world. So. The reality is you're getting into a metal that uh, is facing the same circumstances that you saw the rare earth start to face here a year and a half ago. Well, that's very interesting then. Uh, so we, uh, so there could be some even more upward pressure on, on prices is what I think I hear you saying. That's right. Very interesting. Uh, Larry, your website so people can follow your, uh, your progress, what is that? That's AmericanManganeseInc.com. 
Everything okay. that uh, we have is on that site. Okay, excellent. Uh, very good. Well, thank you, uh, Larry, for coming on with us again and talking to us about your, your company. We want to keep up with you and uh, pass on this news to our listeners uh, as time goes on. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to have David McElvaney with us. He believes that we're heading for rising levels of inflation, a $5,000 gold price, and rising levels of, unfortunately, rising levels of social unrest. Uh, it may not be a happy picture, but as we say on this show, it's better to see what is really going on as opposed to what some of the mainstream folks might want us to think is going on. So you're not going to want to miss uh, Mr. McElvaney. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with Bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Trevally Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Trevally trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top 10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and run. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me David McElvaney. David is the president of the McElvaney Financial Companies, McElvaney Wealth Management, and ICA. That's a 36-year-old precious metals brokerage firm, and he has been a featured speaker on radios, uh, radio shows around the country, uh, analyzing world events and their impact on the global economy and financial markets. Uh, Mr. McElroney can also be heard weekly on his market commentary at mcalvaney.com oh, uh, with the triple W. 
www.mcelvaney.com. David is a graduate of Biola University and an associate member of uh, Kebbell College, uh, that's Oxford University, where he studied philosophy and political theory. Uh, he then went on to achieve honors as a top salesman with a Southwestern company and gained extensive business exposure uh, and expertise with uh, Morgan Stanley uh, in California. His international research has given him a global perspective of developments around the world, which helps him avoid focusing too narrowly on his analysis of investment risk and uh, in any given asset category. Uh, he has a very, very, his interests are varied and he spends uh, a lot of uh, basically his free time with his wife and, and their children in Colorado. Well, welcome, David, uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Great to be with you, Jay. Look forward to our conversation today. Oh, here too. And uh, I'm just thinking how lucky you are to live in Colorado, though. It's it's beautiful. Although we are ready for springtime, we got two inches of snow yesterday, and uh, are wondering what what's what's going on with this picture. <laughs> yeah, well, where's the global warming, huh? Exactly. Okay. Well, um, I was watching your video title. I, I guess the title of it is "The Fall of America." Uh, it was fascinating. It's frightening for those who are not familiar, I think, with the, with the thesis, the reality of what is really going on in America as opposed to what the mainstream American propaganda machine tells us is happening. And We've had one, uh, Dmitry Orlov, on this show of Russian descent who spent a lot of time, saw what was going on in Russia. Uh, he believes that our propaganda machine is far superior to anything that uh, they had in Russia. Uh, but I would like to start out our discussion um, discuss just hitting on some of the points made in the int uh, in the introduction of this video, which people can, by the way, uh, see on the on the uh, on the internet. Um, and and before we get started, David, maybe you can just tell them where they can go to see uh, the video. It's free. They can go and see it, right? Well, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, we, we did the Fall of America DVZ series uh, about a year and a half ago, and it's an excellent collaborative effort with about uh, eight different people. Uh, they asked me to give comment to both financial and economic issues, and there was a whole host of other folks on the DVD series. What made it particularly compelling to me was that you had folks from all over the political spectrum, whether it was left, right, center, uh, and, and, and there was a, a common concern, a common concern centered on government and government growing out of control. And I think that's, you know, at the heart of the budget debate today, it's at the heart of why we have so many fiscal problems uh, you know, Thomas Donlan just this last week in, in Barron's points out that by, you know, by the, by the middle of the century, we've got 60% of our GDP will go to feeding this, this Leviathan we call mm -hmm. government. And, mm -hmm. you know, of course, there's different perspectives on the purpose of government, and that's why you have sort of left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. But for everyone to be scratching their heads and say something doesn't feel right, something doesn't feel right at all, um, and, and we've got to get to the bottom of this. Uh, are, are they serving us or are we serving them? It, it, was, it was a fascinating series to be a part of. In addition to that, each year we put together a film that goes out to anywhere from 250 to 300,000 people, and that we do send out complimentary, the film that we, that we produce. Uh, and we'll be happy to provide that to your clients if they want to go to orderdvdnow.com or your listeners orderdvdnow.com, and, and it, it is a high-level overview of what's happening in the economy and the financial markets, connecting the dots between the financial, the economic, the political, and the geopolitical uh, in a way that is uh, helpful for investors who are trying to figure out what is going on in the world and what should we be doing. And it ties directly into uh, your program, Jay, mm -hmm. Turning hard times into good times. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we, this is the, the the consensus or the basic thesis of, of this show is that in order to prepare yourself, you have to understand what's really going on, not not what you're being told is going on necessarily. But self-serving interest in the mainstream media. But I'd like to ask you who, if you could tell our listeners who those folks are, those eight people that were uh, part of this uh, of this video. Sure. We had uh, Doug Casey. Uh, we had G. Edward Griffin. Uh, we had, um, oh goodness, it's been so long. <laughs> you had Amy, 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 um, uh, forgotten her name. She's sort of, uh, a left of center, Amy Wolf. Is it? Amy yeah. Wolf? Yeah. Naomi Wolf. Um, Naomi that Wolf? Was, and I've had her on our, our weekly program. Um, and, and that was again, part of what made the project compelling is, is that you've got folks who are very concerned 
about the state of our country, some of whom are constitutionalists, some of whom may be more revisionists when it comes to the Constitution, but they, they are expressing concern and want to get to the bottom of, 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 of what's happening in government. Um, another one had, that you had, that ex- if I might just interject here, another one that you had that I found was really somebody I'd like to talk to uh, is Mark Miller. I think he's um, a film professor of, uh, of media or something at NYU, something that, like that's that? That's correct. That's correct. You know, when when you get a good view of of what's happening in the world, it's going to include critical analysis in in almost every field. Very few people today think across categories. It's mm-hmm. it's much easier um, it's much easier to think in terms of economics only, or finance only, or politics mm-hmm. only. And in fact, mm-hmm. we have an education system which promotes specialization. Which and doesn't really train you to think across fields and make connections. So, you know, when when you can make these connections and and see that, uh, for instance, our foreign policy in Afghanistan uh, does in fact include an economic variable, and you say, well, what on God's green acre is is attractive in in Afghanistan? Well, you know, dig a little deeper, and you realize in the 1990s we we were involved in promoting the TAPI pipeline. You know, and it was it was something that we were negotiating directly with the Taliban uh, to create this pipeline that went from Turkmenistan through Afghanistan, through Pakistan, and ultimately into into India. And it was something that would you know was clearly solidify our role uh, because Unical was 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 the company in question competing for this pipeline bid against an Argentinian company. You just you find okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Osama bin Laden is one factor. But there's something actually in the, in the much bigger picture that ties into energy stability, price stability within the energy complex, uh, changing relationships in a, in, a, in a post-Soviet era within that uh, region, where Turkmenistan used to take all their natural gas to Russia, and now it's really up for grabs. The fourth largest natural gas oil field in the world, and it's landlocked, which means if it's going to get to Asia, it's got to go through India or get... To, uh, to China, you know, through Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. This is, this is the fascinating part of connecting dots. And, mm-hmm. Jay, what you're doing and bringing on guests to, to, to discuss from various angles, you have to understand politics today. You have to mm-hmm. understand geopolitics today. You have mm-hmm. to look at, at, the, at the granular side of, of economics and, and see what is wrong. I mean, to, to illustrate, you and I both know that there's inflation somewhere between 7%, 7 and 10%. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the billion prices projects at MIT uh, that would say, okay, you know, the guys at the National Bureau of Economic Research and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they've, they've got it all wrong. There's no possible way that inflation is, is between 1% and 2%. It's clocking in at between, at between 6 and 7% now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this neglects our old measures, BLS measures, uh, which back in the 80s would have called inflation today 96 to 9.8%. Exactly. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Because just last week we had GDP numbers that say, hey, we're growing. And, of course, Bernanke says this as well. The economy is growing, but at a slower rate than we were hoping. Jay, when, 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 you, when you understate inflation, you end up mm-hmm. overstating GDP. So, in, right. in fact, we're not positive by close to 2% on the GDP figure we're probably negative by at least that amount. So yes. it, it, these variables are so critical, and I hope your listeners, you know, beyond sort of a couch chair analysis, begin to, if they don't already, care about these things, because they will devastate your pocketbook and your investment portfolios if you're not clued into just how all these things interrelate. And then when you think about the social injustice of the fact uh, that they are that they are down, uh, downplaying the inflation rate and then uh, paying the senior citizens on their Social Security. They're not, upgrade, they're not increasing the Social Security to make up with the CPI as they promised to do. So they, I mean, it's just, uh, you can agree that we should or shouldn't have Social Security, I suppose, but we have it and people have been promised it. And, and the fact that they are now uh, manipulating the inflation figures and when people have to they, uh, take out food and energy from inflation numbers, uh, I mean, that's the biggest part of somebody's uh, income. Well, I don't want to get off on this too much because there's so, so much to talk to you about. Uh, we've just started scratching the surface. We've only got about 15 minutes in this half hour, and I have an idea we probably should have had you on for longer. But let's, uh, let's go at, at some of these issues now. Um, you mentioned in the video that this is something much worse than just a regular 
recession. You know, the recession we hear from the mainstream, they acknowledge that it's pretty bad. You know, after Lehman Brothers went down, we had a major decline in the equity markets and a major decline in commodity prices. Uh, they've pumped it back up now. They've got, I think, speculation growing. Uh, but you're saying this is far worse than than a recession. Do you think that we are in a depression? Well, I think this is this is important to, to get some context for this because you know, I mean, basically, if you track 1980, 1990 into the present decade, you know, we we have this period or have this period of extraordinary credit growth, and that credit growth. Uh, was was a great boon to Wall Street. It was a great boon to real estate development. It benefited a number of asset classes, and frankly, in that context, also made gold somewhat irrelevant because your rates of return elsewhere far exceeded anything that you could earn sitting in, in, in the precious metals. Of course, that's changed in the last ten years, but but the context, you know, is is pretty critical when you're looking at fiscal and monetary policy. We have the government trying to hold up aggregate demand sort of circa 2008, as if that was a normative period, as if that was the benchmark we should try to, 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 to continue with, when in fact it was artificial in nature. Now, the government activity is now filling a hole equal to, and government activity, I'm talking about deficit spending, is filling a hole equal to 11% of GDP. It mm-hmm. kind of brings us back to that GDP question. You know, if, if, if government deficit spending is propping up the GDP figures, what if, what if they weren't spending what if they weren't substituting uh, for for the uh, for the consumption or oriented uh, person out there, the middle class in America? Mm-hmm. We'd have negative GDP numbers of six to eight percent, and there you are, smack dab in the middle of a greater depression. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really funny, Jay, because really what we have is a charade here. We're trying to convince the world that we're stronger than we are. The dollar. Uh, has been weak. Really, it started its nosedive in 1971 when we suspended convertibility. You, you could you could argue that it began to deteriorate even earlier than that. But we are trying to perpetuate charade upon charade upon charade, and and it's it's unhealthy at this point to judge the economy as strong. Uh, again, you, you've got government deficit spending. We bring in. Roughly 2.2 trillion dollars in revenues. This is this is the, the, the government take from taxes, mm-hmm. but they're spending close to 3.65 trillion. This just doesn't work. I mean, no. and, I, and I think and I think for all of your listeners, this is how basic it is. You can't manage your household this way. We should certainly expect of our government at least as common sense approach. Granted, things are slightly more complicated, but it is in essence this simple. Don't mm-hmm. spend more then you bring in in income. That's what we're doing. That's what we've been doing for a long time through increasing social programs, expanding our obligations, what we spend overseas, an expanded military presence in hundreds of places around the world. We're spending ourselves into balance sheet bankruptcy. Now, this is where it gets particularly dangerous, Jay, because when you exhaust all fiscal options, then you move towards monetary medicine and, 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 and what you might describe as monetary madness, or in past decades what they've, they've seen is, is either super or hyperinflation. We are running out of fiscal options. The folks in Washington are not taking this seriously. They patted themselves on the back just a few weeks ago for cutting the budget by $38.5 billion. That's 2.4% of the problem. Now, th- this, is, this is why we end in a depression or, or, in, or in a superinflation. They're treating this as, as, as strong medicine. Yes, we cut $38.5 billion out of $1.65 trillion. <laughs> I, it, it really, it's laughable, Jay. It's laughable. Yeah. Yeah, if it weren't so sad, if it wasn't so devastating. In, in the video, you talk about uh, we are nearing the end of an empire. Um, why do you say that? Well, you know, one of the things that you have to have to, to be an empire is, is military strength. We certainly have that. Yes. Um, credibility is another part of that, and, and, and credibility is certainly waning. Um, we travel quite a bit uh, as a family, and, you know, I, I started traveling with my dad around the world from the time I was three years old on, and, and we still spend between three to six months traveling around the world, whether it's Asia, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's uh, Europe. We have, we have a, a company in, in Switzerland, uh, and, and, and a number of things that keep us traveling. What we find with people all around the world is 
they understand the charade, and I'm speaking specifically about the dollar charade, mm-hmm. and they understand that we're looking at the end of exorbitant privilege. We're at the end of the dollar reign as the world's reserve currency. It's not that we get dethroned immediately, but it's almost like we're moving from being the number one man to, to operating just as one part of a committee. You know, the, there was no alternative in the post-Bretton Woods era, 1944 to present, until 1999 when the euro got off, got off the ground. It certainly has its, its warts. It has major, major problems. But guess what, Jay? There's a commitment internationally to having something that substitutes for the dollar because they don't want to prop up our spending, and they don't want... Uh, to, to, to be at the end of our foreign policy whip either. So there's, there was a toleration in a post-World War II period, which is, which is grown intolerant. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're seeing shifts in Asia, we're seeing shifts in the Middle East, we're seeing shifts throughout Europe and Russia to change their reserves from dollars into other foreign currencies. Uh, the renminbi may end up being a player at some point. The euro certainly is a growing portion of, of, of foreign reserve assets. And, you know, what we lose with dollar dominance on the world scene is the ability to finance uh, living beyond our means. And yeah. that's, that's really what we lose. So we're we're trying we're we're abusing the privilege really, uh, and we're and it's uh, self destructing. You you mentioned the military. How? I mean, we just you know we send in our our I don't know our operatives into a country without them knowing that we're going there to assassinate an enemy that we've declared as an enemy of the United States. Uh, and I guess I guess you can argue that he was. Uh, but we have, it seems we can send drones anywhere. We can basically watch everybody uh, we, we, that we want to. We can send, you know, America is able to go almost everywhere it wants, it seems, militarily. What about the, fin- the ability to finance that, though? What, how long is that going to ha- go on if, um, you know, if there's nobody to buy our treasuries? How do you see that playing out? Well, Jay, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, is, it is dependent on being able to finance the debt. And this is, this is where we're, we're in an interesting period of time. You know, between now and 2013, we've got over 60% of our outstanding debt, which has to be rolled over. So basically the terms on the loans have to be renewed, and it's either going to be you know, an extension of the loan or compensation for the borrowed funds at a higher rate. In other words, interest rates rising. At the same time, the Congressional Budget Office says we've got an additional trillion per year for the next 10 years, and it, you know, this year surprised us, 1.65 instead of just $1 trillion in new debt to finance as well. So just when we need smooth financing, it's actually being restricted and limited. Um, you know that this is this is uh, we, we've we've seen central bank uh, chiefs in China talking about diversification, setting up new funds in addition to the sovereign wealth funds they have now, uh, so that they can further diversify. Certainly, they don't want to crash the dollar market by liquidating wholesale uh, their treasury and, and and agency exposure. But you know they're they're again they're looking for alternatives. Um, what a fascinating period of time to live in, Jay. And, and I, I think it behooves it behooves listeners to to take asset preservation very very seriously, uh, very very seriously. That this is the end of the world as we've known it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you look at Great Britain, and it once was a great empire. It still is a great country, but mm-hmm. it went from controlling uh, vast tracts of land or influencing vast tracts of land all over the world and being the world's reserve currency to face. Fading, fading, and, and and a part of that fading was that you know our trade increased even by 1917 uh, to exceed their foreign trade, uh, but they still had the, the currency advantage, and ultimately it was it was after World War II that they just were broke. They'd spent yeah. too much, and 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 on the basis of economic uh, travails, they gave up uh, the same exorbitant privilege which we've we've had since since they had it. You say in the video um, that the start of an empire and the end of the empire is the most violent period of time. Do you see potential violence in America? Well, I think this is troubling. You know, with with a young family, I I, I, I look and I say, you know, if I if I go out twenty, thirty years, what is what does America look like? I'm I'm very hopeful, Jay. Um, that the problem is that that you generally go through if you're looking at the Kondratiev cycle or other cycle studies look at basically a 100-year period, 80 to 100 years, 
and and this is pretty easy to to, to consider even going back to about 1517 and 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 the, the beginning of the reformation if you will each period of change does involve usually violence because you're talking about a change of guard in terms of power structures and nobody wants to give up power so whether it is an, an external conflict, an external conflict where you're, you're duking it out with, with a neighboring country and, and, and they want control of your material resources, they want control of the tax take, or internal. I mean, we've seen that in our own country during the Civil War. It was, it was the most violent period of contact, conflict we've ever had. It, we lost more people in the Civil War than we have all of the other American wars we've, we've, we've been implicated in or involved in. So, you know, the... the that's the problem, is, is that no one likes change, and if you're in a position of power, uh, you do everything that you can to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're talking about dollar dominance here and, and, and it being an international conflict. I, I would hope that the, the conflict is more of an economic and financial one, uh, you know, with trade barriers and tariffs and things of that nature, and not what we've seen in the last century, World War I, World War II, mm. uh, and those kinds of conflicts. But that's tough to say. None of us has a crystal ball. It does, well, I think, behoove people to, to be cognizant of, of, of change being violently destructive to portfolios, uh, unless you're on the right side of things. Right. And that's, well, you know, uh, Ron Paul uh, has called for a revolution and not a bloody revolution. He wants to go back to a revolution that our founding fathers provided for us in 1776. Uh, and Richard Mayberry, who will be a guest on this show next week, um, He's he's noted how many revolutions, uh, quite a few of them, maybe half of them or so, uh, they sort of resolve themselves through an abdication of power. The people that are in power become so fearful of the anger of the populace that they just up and leave. And he's suggesting that what what needs to be done now is, and he's and he's very hopeful given the popularity of Ron Paul and the Tea Party and other other people that maybe what can happen is that there will be somebody to to be there, uh, and you know, we already have the, the law in place, if we just go back to the Constitution, would take us back to where the country was. I, that may be a bit of wishful thinking on Richard's part, but uh, it is appealing. Do you think there's any possibility of that? Well, you know, the numbers are going to force the issue, and, yeah. and, and this, is, this is where we either have a choice of, of, of defaulting as a country, uh, both on our, with our federal debts and our state municipal debts, or hyperinflating our way out of it. But, but the numbers are what are going to drive uh, this, this particular revolution. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the cost of living adjustment, the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, we've, we've completely lied about the uh, real rate of inflation, and, and it saves hundreds of billions of dollars for the feds to do that. Now they take that money and turn around and buy votes with it anyways. But, but you, you, you've got one particular people group in the country, retiring class, which, which is sensitive to that. Pew Research just came up with a great report uh, looking at, at states and, and their, their pension obligations, and they're coming up with about a $1.26 trillion shortfall. $660 billion of that is pension plans. Another $604 billion of that is missing money for retiree health care and other benefits. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this is, this is where, I mean, again, you, you look at folks that you've worked with your entire life, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're counting on the years that they've put in, 15, 20, 25, 30 years of service, and, and they, they haven't necessarily saved because they knew they'd have a pension coming in. What happens yeah. when you can't pay the pension because there's too many people retiring all at once? Yeah, yeah. It, it's these are questions that are going to be resolved one way or another. Uh, do you believe that? Uh, I think I think you do believe that we are that we have violated our constitution. That the courts have not upheld uh, the basic constitution that was given to us. Do you agree with that? I, I think we could point to probably half a dozen ways in which that's true. I mean, and, and, and could you point to a couple of them? Open it up. We can we could talk for days about that. And I, I realize that, and that's why we have to have you back on the show. There's too much to talk about. But what uh, name a couple? Well, you know, I, I think probably the most basic, and, and this is this is where I want to get to the heart of a matter as quickly as possible. You know, in, in business management, if there's a crisis, identify where there's waste, cut it as fast as you can, and, and in a turnaround situation, uh, you've got to o- operate quickly and decisively. You know, in a turnaround situation with the United States, the first thing that you have to do is, is, is eliminate the Fed. 
It's eliminated the Fed, first of all, because it's, it's non-constitutional. They, they were not, according to a literal interpretation of the Constitution, supposed to be in charge of printing our money. There was supposed to be, and, and there was originally, uh, you know, a, a standard, combined standard of gold and silver, ultimately revised to more of a gold standard. What was the real value of that? I'll tell you the real value of that was political, not monetary. We have a system wherein you can promise any number of dollars to a constituency group in order to get their votes. You go back to Washington, you collect the, 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 the pork, as they say, and you bring it home. And, and that's your job as a legislator today. You, you, you promise as much as you can, you go collect as much as you can, and then you deliver home the bacon. Mm-hmm. You can't do that when you have sound money, because there's mm-hmm. not an infinite number of dollars to service those obligations. Right. You can't promise the sun, moon, and stars. All you can do is make a reasonable a reasonable obligation. Anything shy of that, and you've lost credibility. We live in an an unreal world, and and our political system, I think, has become endemic with corruption as a result of non-sound money. So if you wanted to fix one thing that would bring about a shrinkage of government and and, 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 and a a more, you know, again, going back to to what our founders envisioned with a a sound government, it begins with sound money. Yeah. Well, certainly, uh, I think it was Mark Miller on your video that talked about uh, our political process being a joke, a circus, I think he called it. Um, do we, do, do, so we have some things called, uh, for one of them is free speech. We're talking here on this show. You and I can talk about these ideas that are very much anti-establishment on this kind of a program. Do we really have free speech in America, though? Because the mainstream is giving us one version that seems so out of touch with reality to me. Do we, we're supposed to have, that's supposed to be a constitutional guarantee, it's free speech. Do we have it? Well, you've got two ways in which it's being eroded. One is, is that your mainstream media is, is, is largely controlled. And, and so you know, the, the, the message that you're going to get from the mainstream media is, is going to be fairly... Uh, one-sided. Uh, on the other hand, you've got political uh, machinations in Washington. If you're familiar with the Fairness Doctrine, the Fairness Doctrine would, would take you and I off the air. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's essentially equal time for, 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 for both views. So, in other words, if I'm going to be critical of, of Fed monetary policy, then you need to have, uh, you know, Ben Bernanke on to, to give his fair take. And, and if you can't have both views expressed, then you can't express yours. Right. So, so it, it, there is there's legislation pending, uh, and it ties back to the Fairness Doctrine, yeah. uh, that, that would eliminate free speech. Yeah, that's Chuck Schumer, uh, one of my senators here in New York, that is, I think, behind that. Um, yeah, I can't. I, when it comes to the free speech thing, and we only have a few minutes here left, uh, um, my apologies, we'll have you on again. Uh, but I remember uh, it was Ron Paul and Bernie Sanders were grilling Alan Greenspan. They were the only two people that were really giving him a hard time during the glory days of Alan Greenspan. And I think it was Chairman Oxley who came on afterwards, and he was apologetic to Mr. Greenspan for this ill behavior of Ron Paul on the right and Bernie Sanders on the left. And Greenspan looked up at him and said, well, you know, that's what makes America great. We have this a privilege to speak out and to say things that are off the wall. And I thought, you know, how ridiculous is that? Because then they turn around, of course, and anybody that has a view that it's outside of the mainstream, they, they, uh, they marginalize them by calling them nutcases or something like that. And so I just, you know, it's just a, a theoretical question. There's so much to talk about. I mean, here, uh, I, uh, one of the people that really impressed me, and I hope we can get him on the show, was Professor Mark uh, Miller. Uh, and some of the things he, he says, the military is in shambles, the medical system is in chaos, food supplies are can- contaminated, the uh, political system, as I just mentioned, is a joke, it's a circus. Uh, you get your drugs from the mainstream media. They tell you everything is fine. Uh, he says we're entering into a greater depression, martial law and tyranny, and that sort of thing ahead of us. These are not happy. Uh, this is not a happy picture, but better that we know than we don't know so that we can prepare for it. Maybe with the couple of minutes we have left, tell our listeners what you think they should do. And I might just mention... Uh, that you do, uh, I, I, you do, or you are involved with, and I guess own our our principal in a bullion 
uh, a company that sells gold products. Is right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The McIlvany Financial Group is 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 two separate companies. Um, the ICA, International Collectors Associates, uh, for for nearly forty years, uh, uh, a bullion precious metals brokerage and consultation firm. Our wealth management service. Um, you know, th- this is an indication of just how strongly I feel about there being a turn. Uh, in the markets uh, for the better. Uh, you know, I've, we, we, we think that you should have an exit strategy, a reduction strategy from your metals positions. We're not there yet. We're in the context of a raging bull market, and we think that it could last anywhere from three to five to seven years longer. Um, but if you had to pin me down on a particular date, I'd probably say 2014, 2015. And, you know, where, where clients need to be, you, you, you need to invest in the political process. You need to invest in your own education as much as you do time and reading you know, blogs and this and that on the Internet and listening to programs like this, continue the education. Continue, because to whom much is given, much is expected. Uh, the, 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 when Oxley went after uh, Ron Paul and, and, and didn't appreciate his grilling of Greenspan, what he failed to recognize was that to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. We have delegated a responsibility, rightly or wrongly, to the Fed. And, and it behooves us to ask the hard questions. If you're asking the easy questions, you're not asking the right questions at all. Right. And, and so for us to enter the political fray, sit down across from Greenspan or Bernanke, and ask fluff questions, they would be failing in their responsibility. We have abdicated the responsibility of sound money to the Fed. The least we can do is ask hard questions and hold them accountable for the decisions that they're making. Ultimately, they're taking us, in my opinion, towards uh, massive inflation. Massive yeah. inflation. Uh, well, that's a, that's a discussion for another day. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We're going to have you back on sometime real soon because I have pages of questions to, and topics to discuss with you. Uh, there, that being one of them, the inflation-deflation story. We have people like Robert Prechter on the deflation side, and we have many people on the inflation side, ex- including Ron Paul, who's an inflationist. John Williams has been on. I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on to our show today. I didn't... Uh, didn't uh, didn't know of you until just recently. I'm glad I'm glad you were introduced to this show. I hope we can have you on again very soon. Uh, if we had more time, we would go on and on. So uh, you'll come back with us sometime in the future. I hope. Jay, it's great. I look forward to it. Near future, I hope. All right, very good. Well, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with a friend and a colleague, Jeff Berwick of Stockwatch Stockwatch fame. I should say, Jeff has some very informed views on the silver markets and much more. Also, some unique views on the Canadian dollar. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Jeff Berwick. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNS. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000 ton per day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AI8. 